Hi there and welcome to the Jane Anderson Show. I am super excited that you are here today. We have a very, very special guest. And uh, well, all our guests are super special, but this one in particular. So before I get started though, I thought I would share a little bit about what I'm out there talking about, what I'm noticing, what I'm hearing. Um, so I've been on the road a lot. I've been Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, <laughs> um, and uh, and been running a number of the Women with Influence dinners. I've been speaking at a few events and um, been having lots of conversations around, uh, particularly for women in business and women in uh, in leadership roles in organisations and helping them to be able to uh, really, um, we've been having most of our conversations around tribes and the impact of you as a leader and being able to grow your business or your career when you either, when you do have a tribe and when you don't have a tribe and what does a tribe even look like and why should you even worry about it? Um, so that's been really interesting conversations at our dinners and um, so I choose a topic each quarter and that's the topic that's this quarter that I, I'm talking about at each of these events. And um, what I noticed overwhelmingly was that it, um, and you know, I've always known it, but it was just a reminder that I think what's happening is that women are really aware of that they need, um, their challenges are around their confidence sometimes in those leadership roles or knowing how to apply for some of those more senior roles. Um, am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Um, so that came up a lot. Also, what came up a lot is around just being heard, feeling like you can have something to say. Um, I'm hearing that organizations are ticking diversity targets, uh, but the challenge is how to create a, an inclusive culture that um, uh, goes beyond ticking the boxes. And so how do we keep women in these roles? What are some of the behaviors that we, instead of just saying we're hitting diversity targets, is that we're actually retaining um, great female talent? So there's been lots of conversation around that. And then also, if you're a female business owner, the impact of, um, of unconscious bias when working in business and being able to like things like proposals and pitching and all that sort of stuff. Um, so we talked a lot about your board of directors and we've talked a lot about the people you have around you to help you make really good decisions. And uh, and so for those who, uh, what I noticed overwhelmingly at the dinners was that there was a real lack of um, of the uh, numbers of people who had like a kind of like, you know, like a board of directors around them, like people who can help them make really good solid decisions. And I know this was something that I really, I, first of all, I didn't know it was an issue for me. And then secondly was that I realized I didn't have it. And so that's something that I've really worked on over the last 10 years and, uh, and has made a big difference for me. And a lot of people, you know, ask me, what are some of the things that have helped you to grow? And that's definitely been one. So, um, so if you want to come along to one of the Women with Influence dinners, I'd love to see you there. Uh, I'm actually doing a special regional one in Mackay and that's coming up on, let me just double check the date, uh, which is Wednesday the 1st of May. We also have Brisbane coming up on the 11th of April. Um, then I head back to Melbourne uh, the 11th of June, Sydney um, on the uh, 13th of June. So that's next quarter. But um, jump on the events page if you're interested in coming on. I'd love to see you there. And um, because um, just uh, this quarter, I'm, for those couple of events, I'll be finishing off talking about tribes, which is the, the Mackay one, and then uh, start the new quarters events. And I'll be talking about the new book, 
trusted. <laughs> so first of all, thank you so much for all those people who have purchased the book um, and been so patient in waiting on it. Um, uh, these have all arrived, they're all signed and they're on their way to you. So you should receive yours in the next next few days. Um, this book I wrote because after I wrote Expert to Influencer, which was essentially about how to build a tribe and how to how to create it, particularly if you're a business owner, um, the next question that it obviously led to was, okay, so how do I run this tribe? How do I look after, you know, these clients or this team that I've got? Because I think things have really changed in how we connect and communicate with people. And we have to have a lot more cut through. We have to be authentic. We have to be real. And so this book is really all about at the heart of what creates trust, because as I said, trusted the level above influence. You might have a role that positions you well. And you know, I'm a marketer, so my career has been helping people position themselves as a great leader. Uh, but you've got to follow through. You've got to be the leader then because um, I can do all the marketing in the world and I can help you look really great and as good as good as you are. But the thing is, is that uh, your real self will show up after that. So this book I wrote to help people to step into their best version of themselves to be able to connect at a human level. And talk. we talk about things like um, authenticity, empathy, uh, vulnerability, uh, transparency uh, some of those things because the thing is is that you might have a role that is um, that may be you or you have a role that positions you in a role of influence like let's just say Donald Trump <laughs> however you might not necessarily be trusted and so that's what this book is all about is that now that you've got this role and you're positioned in a role of influence is now it's up to you now to build this trust so um, you can jump on Amazon, Kindle is available, all that, um, Barnes and Noble. And if you want to order it on my website, you can go to the books page. And I, of course, am more than happy to sign it for you. So, um, so that's that one. And uh, uh, one of the other key things that is coming up and off the back of um, talking with our special guest today. And um, one of the questions that I'd been asked a little bit about was, um, would you create a retreat for people? And it's something I've thought a lot about. And it was always about if I was ever to run something like that, what would I create that would have the greatest impact on someone's business or their success? And that I could do in two days. If I, if someone was to take two days out of their business, which I get is really hard, um, what the return that they would get out of that didn't have a big impact in their business for the next 12 months. So I've created, um, it's kind of a retreat, but it's a working retreat. So it won't be too many, you know, massages and pina coladas down on the beach. <laughs> we'll do that in the breaks. Um, but I've put together the content creation boot camp, and it is on, on the gold coast on the 12th and 13th of July. And I've deliberately chosen that date. So for those, if you're in cold climates, you can have a break and you can come to beautiful Gold Coast and defrost um, <laughs> at the beach. And um, But the idea is, is that lots of people ask me, how do you get content out so fast? And um, so what I thought I would do is, okay, the number one question I'm asked is this. So what if I showed you how to do this, how I do it? Because um, I go and lock myself away in a hotel for two days. I know all the content I'm going to create, and I build it, and I go home, and I have the next at least six to 12 months of what I need. And um, so I thought, well, 
that's the thing that holds people back the most in their business. Because when I was talking to people, you know, they were saying the things that their challenge was is there's too many distractions at home or too many interruptions. I can't get focused. I just need to sit down is what most people, I, I, so many times say, I just need to sit down. I just need to sit down and do this. So I go, okay, I'll make you sit down. <laughs> um, and the other thing they often said to me was, okay, well, even if I went and did that, I still not am 100% sure if what I've got is good enough. So um, so what I've done is put this uh, two days on and uh, it's a space for you to come in. It's a really high performance two days. It's no mucking around. It's you're there to get in, get work done and you go home. It's a super productive two days and you have a, uh, a year's worth of content created in two days. And that content you may use in your books, your blogs, your videos, your social media, your newsletters, whatever it is that you need to create is you're going to be able to unpack that IP in two days. And, uh, and I'm going to be using something called um, the Pomodoro technique. It's a tool that I use in my practice all the time to get knock out uh, uh, a lot of um, IP. And it's kind of like being doing um, sprints. You know, I'm not going to make you run, but <laughs> it's kind of like doing these short sprints so that you can get work out and then you have a bit of a break and then you sprint again and you get a little bit of a break. And um, it's the way to be able to get a lot of good stuff out really quickly and you go home with a solid body of work that you um, can use for the next 12 months. So jump on the website. You'll see it in the events area and the training page, 12th and 13th of July at the Gold Coast. So uh, now that we've been talking about content, let's go to talking about our special guest today. So my very special guest today really came, my journey started with this person uh, a long time ago. It was actually when I, it was about kind of when I finished uni, I remember seeing their first book around called Permission Marketing. Um, it was when I first started to do some reading around this work. Um, but in 2010, I started my training and coaching business, helping people in their businesses and their careers and their teams. And I started to notice that, you know, with most clients, I was giving out um, uh, the book from the expert that I knew they needed. So, and I just found this person was the person that I just kept going back to all the time because they'd written something that I knew would be useful for this person. Those two, there were two in particular. One is the book called Lynchpins and the other one is called Tribes. Um, and that author is none other than New York Times bestseller, Seth Godin. So today he is the author of 19 books and not just any books, but New York Times bestsellers. Um, and uh, in 2017, I undertook the marketing seminar. This is a program that Seth created and it was really about um, going back to almost like the fundamental basics, but at the same time, the future of marketing, which was kind of the reason why I did it. Because, you know, marketing had changed so much. When I went to, to university, I remember learning about marketing and it was about billboards and advertising and, and this concept of permission marketing and tribe building and things didn't really, wasn't really talked about back then. And... Um, and his work around, uh, as a result of doing the marketing seminar, I got to understand his work even more. And today I use it every day. And uh, I find I'm sharing something from his work 
at least once a week. Uh, his blog, if you get his blog, it's, it comes out every day and it's been voted in the top 25 by Time Magazine. And uh, his book, Purple Cow, had sold, has sold over 150,000 copies in the first 23, had 23 print runs in the first two years, which is extraordinary. Um, uh, Business Week named the book Lynchpin among its 20 of the best books by, the influential, by influential thinkers in business. And he was inducted into the American Marketing Association's Hall of Fame last year in 2018. I kind of think that's a bit late, really. Like, how many books do you have to write to get in there? But wow, I am thrilled that he's finally in there. Um, so uh, today, what I want to do is introduce you to this extraordinary human being. He's had a huge impact on my um, my career, and I know for the clients that I work with, and so many of my colleagues and uh, thrilled to be able to share this interview with you. Thank you to everybody who sent through their questions as part of the Seth Godin competition. You should have received your uh, awards by now and, uh, and gifts. And thank you to everybody to, who were successful. You'll see their questions in here. And uh, so please enjoy Seth Godin. Hi there, Seth. Thank you so much for joining me on the Jane Anderson Brand New Show on the podcast today. I can't Isn't tell you a how miracle. Thank like you. We're, we're as far apart as two people can be, and here we are just casually chatting for free. It's how amazing. How cool is that? <laughs> Seth, first of all, I first of all just have to share with you. I have to say thank you so much. You know, for the body of work that you have created the commitment that you have had and the amount of work that you have done to drive, you know, and have an impact on people's businesses and careers and lives has just been extraordinary. So I really want to say thank you. I, I don't think there's a day that goes by, I know even for the clients that I work with, I don't think there's a day that goes by that a Seth quote doesn't drop into a conversation. Well, that's mostly because I have so many Seth quotes, not because they're that good, but I'm glad that it's resonating. It really is. And, you know, the more that I think the more that you create this work, the more relevant it becomes just, and yet it's so timeless at the same time. So, uh, so thank you. Seth, um, in terms of the, the format and the time, I know we're very limited on time today. And so I, I would, there's so many questions I could ask you. So <laughs> I have to be, I have to be limited. So, um, so I wanted to ask you a few questions particularly around you've got this incredible new book, which is This Is Marketing. So I want to ask you about that. Uh, I have a few questions myself. And then in truth, says Spirit, your, uh, your work around tribes has made a massive impact. For, I know for the clients that I work with, we, every client gets a copy of the book Tribes. And so I've gone to the tribe to ask them what they want me to ask you. <laughs> so, um, so if it's okay, first of all, you know, Seth, we're up to 19 books now. Yeah, that's the 19th bestseller in a row. Go figure. Just extraordinary. So, Seth, you know, every book you've written is incredible. And then this book, tell us why this book now? How is it different to all the other books you've written? It's pretty why different. I mean, um, I needed to write it because I was there at the beginning uh, more than 20 years ago. I started online before the World Wide Web. 
we have seen it all change. Mm. And permission marketing started this cycle of paying attention to attention and realizing that advertising and marketing are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And yet, most of the time and most of the money that people are spending doing that thing they call marketing feels mm -hmm. a lot like mass advertising to me. Yeah. That, you know, you've got people counting how many Twitter followers they have or spamming us or pop unders and pop under. It's all obsolete. And yet we still talk about it. So what I wanted to do was draw a line in the sand on the 20th anniversary of the permission marketing book and say, this, this is marketing, not that. Right. Stop doing that. And <laughs> I began it by making the marketing seminar, which is our most popular seminar. We've had more than 10,000 graduates. <laughs> and this is the textbook. This was, okay, if you want to see step-by-step step what I think matters, <laughs> here it is. And the other thing that the book does is it says, marketing is not just getting a stranger to buy something. Marketing is what we do when we lead someone, when we have an engagement with someone, when we're organizing an institution. These are all marketing choices. Yes. So let's make them on purpose. Right. And Seth, I think that's really interesting with what you talk about with, with the marketing seminar because it's your work, seeing you in the video. So I did the marketing seminar in August uh, 2017 and uh, seeing you in, in video and in person uh, sharing some of these concepts, it's quite a different experience than, than reading it in a book, like hearing it hearing it from you in person it's the same thing but it sounds so different and then in the marketing seminar you talk a lot about and this is probably the big thing that I took away was doing work that matters having and which is what you're talking about with this is marketing versus what that marketing is right. it was doing work that matters uh, empathy insight understanding uh, and comparing wants wants and needs um, if it's okay, can I just read a short uh, paragraph out of no, go, go, go. that you that you wrote? And I think this this had the I think has an incredible impact. And it's one I share with a lot of people. You said, "What do people want?" If you ask them, you probably won't find what you're looking for. You certainly won't find a breakthrough. It's our job to watch people figure out what they dream of, and then create a transaction that can deliver that feeling. And if there was one line in the, like that, uh, two, two sentences, that I think was what I took away from the marketing seminar. Um, Seth, do you think that there is more conversation now happening around that empathy and insight and understanding? Has it always been there or are people now starting to pay more attention to that about marketing? Oh, I think it's definitely happening. And okay. part of the reason is, the internet feels like a mass medium, but it's not. It's a micro medium, mm. hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of them lined up side by side. Mm. You can't buy the homepage of the internet because there isn't one. <laughs> that if you bought the most popular TV show on YouTube, you would reach 0.1% of the people who are watching YouTube, not 3% or 30%. So we don't pay extra to reach a big audience. We should pay less because we want specific. But if you're able to talk to specific, the minimum viable audience, mm -hmm. then you have an obligation to talk to them, not to talk to everyone, but to talk to the people who are listening to you. Yes. That requires focus and it requires us to go out on a limb and say, I made this for you, not for you. Mm -hmm. And that leads to this 
newfound conversation about empathy, actual practical empathy. And that's so, it seems so um, counterintuitive, doesn't it, Seth? Yep. Like it, it seems like, but hold on, there's all these people out there. Why would I not go for mass market? And, and you know, the challenge is, is having the patience and uh, discipline and being able to take the risk to be able to go for that minimum viable market, yeah? Yeah, and if you ask someone, who do you aspire to be like? What brand do you seek to be like? Very few people will pick, I don't know if Heinz ketchup is big down under, but we'll pick some generic market leader, right? In the US, two items that are in more refrigerators are Kraft single cheese slices and Heinz ketchup. No one wants to be those people. Those people are struggling. They're struggling. They want to be someone, you know, they they say, I'd I'd like to be someone with a strong, significant voice. I'd like to be Sarah Jones, or I'd like to be Bob Dylan. I'd like to be somebody who stands, well, guess what? You know, if I look at my work, 99.8% of the people on the planet Earth have never heard of me. Yeah, right. right? And that's great, because what I would need to do to be heard of by a larger group of people isn't work I would be proud of. Right. So the objective here is to be the kind of brand and individual and contributor that would be missed if you were gone, right. not one who is simply popular. Right. So it's really about that impact for that specific viable market, yeah? Exactly. And Seth, so we have something in Australia called the tall poppy, as you're probably aware. Yes, I've talked about this a bunch of times, right? Yes. And, uh, and so, you know, we have this fear of standing out. We have this fear of... Um, you know, like we're trying to pay too much attention to ourselves or alternatively, we've got that fear of our audience, you know, um, cutting us down and, you know, um, and ridiculing us because, you know, they're going, well, who the hell do you think you are to have an opinion or, and um, so as a result, what happens is, is that we hold back and, and you talk about being, um, don't wait to be picked. So pick yourself. And so the challenge we have, I see all the time, is that people have that fear of, of being able to have that voice, causing a ruckus, as you say, and picking themselves. What advice would you have for those people that we see and who are listening to this podcast? Because right. most of these people who listen to this are consultants, coaches, and there right. is that fear because of our culture. What, what advice would you I have? Love, I love this question. Thank you for asking. Here's the deal. I have... Uh, engaged with and spoken to people in more than 130 countries Mm. and in every country they say we have this thing in our country and then they describe (laughs) the tall poppy thing so sorry Australia you don't unique (laughs) not at all and it's resistance it's a chance to hide it's a trap because the thing is someone who wants to criticize you not your customer walk away you don't have to listen to them don't read the comments just walk away that if if you look you know let's pick Uh, J.K. Rowling, the most successful author in the history of the universe. She's a billionaire because of her writing. Mm -hmm. Go look at any book on Amazon that she wrote, and it's tons of one-star reviews. More one-star reviews than I have five-star reviews. (laughs) So how did that happen? Well, it's because people noticed her. And if J.K. had said to herself, I better not write this book because someone will write a one-star review, she never would have written it. Instead, you got to say, what a one-star review means is it wasn't for you. Got it. I don't need to read any more. You've already identified who you are. You're someone for whom this is not for. 
thank you. Good luck to you. Yeah. And the, if you're a consultant, if you're a freelancer, if you're an entrepreneur, the only chance you have is for someone to think and be happy about mm-hmm. the fact that you're a tall poppy. If they don't think that, why would they hire you? <laughs> so if you're not willing to be seen as a tall poppy by anyone, go get a job because yes. otherwise you're never going to get where you want to go. Right. Because that fear of shipping it just becomes crippling, doesn't it? And they're waiting for you to ship. Right. <laughs> you know, the other thing that we taught you in TMS, which you may remember, um, is the lifeguard message. Yes. So if you were walking by a, a pond and you saw someone drowning, the question is, would you save them? Mm-hmm. Now, you could say, I don't have Red Cross certification. There are people who are better swimmers than me. Mm-hmm. What right do I have? to go inflict myself on this person? Yes. Those are all the wrong questions. The right question is, would this person like you to save them? <laughs> so and, true. If, and if the answer is yes, then you're not saving at them, you're saving with them. Yeah. They wanted you to come. If you can't figure out how to bring that to the market, then you're selfish. If, you, if you're busy spamming people because you want to sell your basement waterproofing services and they don't want to buy them, you should sell something else. <laughs> but if you can sell something that people are eager to engage with, then you're like a lifeguard. And don't worry about whether someone says you have no right to save this kid's life. You just save the kid's life. Yeah. Yeah, we get so caught up in, oh, I haven't got this certification or this accreditation. It doesn't matter as long as you, you know, you're just, are you solving a problem? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And Seth, so, uh, which leads me to my next question. We have something that has happened here recently, which is uh, uh, we've got a, a bit of a trust deficit in the financial services industry that we're just off the back of a Royal Commission here in Australia. So there's been identified a lot of misconduct uh, yeah. in the industry. We've had CEOs of like some of the big banks who have resigned over it. It's, it's really in turmoil at the moment. Um, so the question I know that a lot of people have got is if, if what, I wonder what Seth Godin would have to say about this. So what, based on what you saw with say the GFC or, or even just your own opinion in general, like if you were working in the, with clients in this sector or what, what advice would you have for them? Because there's some that have not done the wrong thing and they feel like they're being tarred with the same brush. And then there are others who have, have really, uh, you know, it's been scathing. What advice would you have? Well, the first thing we begin with is this. Uh, Do do you guys know this, the Zappos shoe story? Yes, yes, Tony Hodge. So so when Tony um, started doing it, he could have optimized for a low price Mm -hmm. and he could have optimized for faster shipping, but he optimized for customer service. Mm. Even though delight in customer service and shoes had never been associated before. Mm. He understood that that's what people wanted. They were happy to pay $5 extra for a pair of shoes if they got treated like a person. Right. Well, the banking industry thinks that what everyone cares about are basis points. They think that people care about the difference between 4% and 4.2%. It turns out most people don't care about that. But even if most people did, some people don't. So what has just been highlighted in Australia is, from what I'm hearing, uh, people care about having a bank that they can trust yes. and having a bank that doesn't screw around and cut corners and hide. Yes. What a marketing opportunity. 
<laughs> what an opportunity to become the bank yeah. that maybe proudly says, we don't pay you the most interest because we don't cheat. Yeah. Right? Maybe a bank that regularly publishes more information than is required. Yeah. And the other thing that I would say to bankers, and I got in a long conversation with someone here about this, mm -hmm. uh, a banker was whining to me about government regulations. And I said, well, you know, the reason there are government regulations is because bad actors ripped people off and the government said, we have no choice. Wow. So what the good actors need to do is criticize the bad actors before everyone catches them. Right. That if you are one of those good bankers you're talking about, mm -hmm. you should be putting out a report every week about bad actors in your industry. Right. You should say, here are the 17 things that will let you get ripped off in a mortgage. Look for these sentences in your mortgage application. Right. Now, the, your competitors will be furious at you for giving away the secrets. Mm -hmm. So what's more important, being having competitors who are happy with you or having customers who are happy with you? Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the U.S., a guy years ago started a blog about indoor, um, outdoor pools. Right. And in the U.S., when you buy a swimming pool, you're almost certainly going to get ripped off because you don't know anything about buying a $50,000 swimming pool or a $100,000 swimming pool. Uh, so this guy published every secret, every trick, every way that they try to steal from you. Right. And his competitors were furious. But the question is, who would you buy a pool from? Right. Yeah, because they're educating you, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful, Seth. And I think for, yeah, that's that's a really interesting comment because I think for those that are in the sector, we because of that fear, it's now having the courage to actually do that. So for those who have the courage to stand up and have that voice or to say that are the ones that are going to win, right? Yeah, like so in New York years ago, a bank opened and they took down all the glass between the, teller and the customer oh, okay which was against some city or state regulation and they kept paying the fine instead of putting up the glass really They're like we're not going to organize our bank around bank robbers wow we're going to organize our bank around customers right and it was a total game changer wow the level of transparency literally <laughs> yeah exactly. yeah wow now, if it's okay, I've got a few questions from my tribe who are all people, so I hope that's okay. Uh, so the first question is from Dr. Pete Stebbins. G'day, Seth. My name's Peter Stebbins. I'm a high-performance team psychologist working in schools, so getting lots of different teaching teams. One of the things I wanted to know about in terms of marketing product and services is in your book, you talk about the early adopters having different needs from a marketing perspective to the majority. Yet in a business like mine, I'm often having to market both to the early adopters and the majority at the same time time. I'm a small business as well. So I was wondering whether you'd recommend we run parallel marketing. I mean, how do you sort out those messages and send them out at the same time for both audiences? Or is it about starting with the early adopters? And then when would you know and what are the key principles to switch it up to move into majority marketing? I hope this question makes sense. It would be really helpful to help make the efforts I'm putting in a lot more effective when I've always got pretty much two different audiences that I'm trying to communicate with. Thank you. Thank you, Doc. Um, we could talk about this all day. I'll try not to. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Moore wrote the book on it. It's called Crossing the Chasm. Right. 
Right. And the, sh the short version is this early adopters. They're not called early adapters. They don't adapt because they have to. They mm -hmm. adopt because they want to. Mm -hmm. Early adopters want something new. That's its primary benefit to them. No one else has this. Mm -hmm. It's exploratory. It's new. Mm -hmm. The majority want something that works. And they also want something that it is safe to use because the rest of the majority is already using it. Mm -hmm. So if we look at the launch of every idea, every political campaign, every technology, it begins with the people who pick the one that's on the fringe because it's new. That's what they're doing every morning is waking up saying, what's new? Okay. So you have to amplify the riskiness of it, the newness of it, not the performance, but it's audacity. And then those people will model its performance for the masses. Right. So what it requires is that not only is it new, not only does it work, but that it helps the status of the early adopter to talk about it. Right. So these are the shoes I'm wearing right now. Uh-huh. These are called cloud shoes i don't know the exact name of the brand oc okay. this weighs like whoop, it, oh, like wow. eighth of an ounce it just you let go it flies up into the air <laughs> and so i bought them because i'm an early adopter not because i'm a runner yeah i thought they looked cool and i would be seen as smart and alert and aware right if someone sees me wearing the shoes they might ask me about them right. do i have a story that i can tell them that will make me sound smart Right. Do I have a way to make them feel like their status is lower because they're not wearing them? Yeah, right. If I do, then the majority will note that and wait to see if they see someone else wearing them. And if enough early adopters are wearing them, the majority will come to the conclusion that everyone is wearing them and they'll have to go out and get them. And therefore they're safe. That's right. Yeah. Great. Um, and in the school system, I'm, I'm thinking is creating the channels for that conversation to happen. So if I'm not seeing those people day to day, what are the, the channels? Where are they hanging exactly. out? Sharing their so at the school, you start by saying we're having an after school training session for teachers who voluntarily want to hear about a new idea. Okay. You don't force everyone to come. It's only for teachers who want to hear about a new idea. Okay. Stop trying to persuade the other people. It's just for them. And then you build something that as the teacher uses it, it's visible to everyone else in the school. It's not private, it's public. Okay. Right? So yes. for example, let's say it's a school where kids are transferring classes a lot. Uh -huh. And your uh, new idea is all about Modulo 9, helping kids deal with remainders, et cetera. And you decide to teach it with colored rubber bands. Right. So I'll go grab this from over here. <laughs> I'm making this up as we go along here. That's Colored cool. rubber bands. And uh -huh. so the kids leave class like this, right. right? Now the next teacher starts seeing all their kids showing up with colored rubber bands around their wrists. Right. So the side effect of your work starts appearing in other places. Right. The teacher says, what's that? You say, oh, Mr. Morris, he's the best teacher, blah, blah, blah. Well, now the teacher's got to get on board because you made a flag. Right. And you now got the idea to spread exactly yeah great answer um so the second question i have is from sharon francisco 
Hi Seth, Sharon Francisco from Brisbane here. My question for you is, what mistake have you made that's taught you your most valuable lesson? <sighs> so many mistakes, <laughs> so many mistakes. Here's the deal, 97% of them are things I didn't do. Right. That's the lesson. Right that we spend most of our time fearing things we do. Right. We spend most of our time holding back from things we might do because it might be a mistake. Uh -huh. Those aren't my mistakes. My mistakes are that project I didn't launch, that I don't buy stocks, but that stock I didn't buy, that person I didn't meet, that question I didn't ask. Those are my mistakes. Wow. Great answer because you know in this game there's so much that we hold back and have that fear of doing. So I love that. Um, Seth, our next question is from Christian Conrad. Hi, Seth. My name is Christian Conrad. I'm an expert in magnetic culture from Bremen, North Germany. And my question is, what is the one single trait that companies should have to make them magnetic, to make them attractive to top talent today? I'm really curious about your answer. Thank you. Okay, well, we need to go back to minimum viable audience. There's no such thing as top talent. Okay. There are top talents, and some top talents are attracted somewhere, and some top talents are attracted somewhere else. Okay. So when I was busy building Yoyodyne, the internet company that pioneered internet email yes. for commercial purposes, uh, I was at a meeting at Disney with the head of the division at Disney that did uh, internet. Uh -huh. And on his desk was a pile of resumes this thick. And I said to him, what? I need three of those. What are you doing with 300 of them? And he said, every day, dozens of resumes come in because people want to work on the Disney internet division. Well, my senior people made millions of dollars. The people who ended up working at Disney made nothing. But they applied to Disney. Why did they apply to Disney? Because that subset of top talent isn't early adopters. They don't want to say to their friends and family, I work for a company you never heard of. Mm -hmm. They say, I work for the famous company because working for the famous company gives them a certain kind of status. Yeah. So famous companies, like if you go to Silicon Valley, the line to go work at Google is a hundred times bigger than the line to go work at Superhuman. But there's no economic rationale for that. Superhuman's not going to go out of business. You're going to get paid just as well, and your stock options are worth more. So why are, is there anyone in the line at Google? Because Google's famous. Yes. So that's one group of top talent. Right. There's a totally different group of top talent. We talk to them every week in our Lynchpin Jobs newsletter. Mm. The people who subscribe to Lynchpin Jobs are looking for a boss who's going to treat them like a human. Yeah. and not force them to fit in and give them extra responsibility and not worry about authority, but figure out how people can learn stuff. Right. Well, if you said that to the people who are applying for jobs at Disney or Google, they'd freak out. That's not what they want. So I think it's about acting in a way that lines up with the kind of person you seek to, to attract. Right. And the mistakes so many HR people make is they pretend they have a linchpin job when really what they have is a high paid cog job right. and it confuses everybody when you do that. Right. So it's actually not just saying what, what you're looking for, but you have to actually be that is what you're saying. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Because if you would do attract the person you said you wanted, she's going to hate you. Yeah. 
<laughs> they're not going to stay anyway, which costs you more money in the long term. You have to go back. <laughs> Terrific. Um, Seth, the next question that we have from a, a lady, her name is Julia Steele. Hi Seth, my name is Julia Steele and I'm an expert in helping organisations turn their potential into progress. My question for you is very simple. At what point did you realise that Seth Godin, the man, had become Seth Godin, the brand? Everyone has a personal brand, whether you like it or not, because a brand isn't a logo, a brand is a promise, the expectation that people have when they engage with you. It's not a mission statement, it's not a clever elevator pitch. No one ever bought anything on an elevator. <laughs> the result of consistently showing up and doing a thing you said you were going to do. Right. And so I'm not sure she is asking me, when did the outside world have an expectation as to what to expect from me? Because that started when I was 10, just like it did for you, because mm -hmm. the teacher knew when you raised your hand, what kind of question you were going to ask. That's your brand when you're 10. I think the question might be, when did I decide that I was going to aggressively color outside the lines and not choose to be a cog in the system? Mm. And that happened in July of 1977 when I was teaching somebody how to paddle a canoe. And I realized that I was seeing something that most people were too busy or too uncaring to see. Mm -hmm. And if I could talk about it, I could change that person's life. And once I had seen that I could teach like that, I realized that's all I ever wanted to do. Right. It's interesting you say that, Seth. We talk a lot about in, in the programs that we run about that your brand is a big part of brand is what you teach, is what you can educate. And so to, using that to get through fear is that it's actually not even about you anyway. It's about right. serving, it's about helping. So um, Exactly. So I love that story about the the canoe. Um, so our next uh, question, this question is from a lady called Flavia Formica. Oh, hey Seth, I'm Flavia Formica, a leadership and executive coach from Melbourne, Australia. I'm aware of your work and realise you've achieved so much throughout your career. My question for you is, what excites you most about the future? Um, what people I teach, teach others, is how I measure myself. Mm -hmm. And I've now taught enough people that they are teaching others way more than I am teaching people. And so if I've done anything well, that's going to be the dividend is wow. those people teaching someone, those people teaching someone, it feels like it's starting to scale. Okay. And we have a lot of tough times ahead. Uh, the earth is melting. Sea levels are going to rise way more than most people fear. Yeah. It's not going to be easy and we don't need to make more cat videos. We need to figure out how to change the culture in a way that makes us more resilient and caring. Yes. I can't do that by myself, but I'm hopeful that the people I'm shining a light for can do that for others. Yeah, great. It really is about how to get other people sharing. It's their tribes, their networks, isn't it? Exactly. And the legacy and the body of work that you've created uh, I think makes that super accessible and easy. You know, you're in Thank so you. many people's inbox every day. Uh, you know, it's it's showing up, like you said, is if you can keep doing that. Um, I know for the clients we see is being able to have that message and put something out that will just keep going. Yeah. 
Seth, the final question I have for you is from a gentleman called Dr. Richard Hodge. Hi, Seth. Um, my name is Richard Hodge and I'm from uh, Melbourne, Australia. Uh, I'm an expert in the next generation uh, governance uh, and I teach the design of uh, controls as the essence of life and sustainability. Now, in there, I've noticed that as we're trying to solve problems, there's a tendency for debate to become polarised, politicised and focused very much on the short term. So my question is, what strategy might you suggest we apply in order to promote long-term sustainability without being dragged down into the short-term polarised 24-7 media cycle? Well, first, Doc, thank you for the question. And if you haven't watched Rust Acoff's stuff, I strongly recommend it. Uh, the reason we're so polarized is because the media makes money by polarizing us. Mm -hmm. The media did not used to make money by polarizing us and now it does. And if you are being polarized, you are a victim of that, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you have to do free work for the media and turning it off is a great first step. Right. Figuring out how to get outside your circle is a great next step. And then the third step is inventing your own media company publishing regularly, putting your ideas into the world to normalize mm. the fact that it is normal for us to be in sync. It is not normal for us to turn every single issue into an angry debate. Wow. And, you know, I, I saw a, a blog post last week about the fact that some vegans are no longer eating avocados. And <sighs> that's because they're upset that the bees are being exploited to uh, pollinate pollinate the avocado trees right and i feel for the bees and i support any vegan's right to speak up about this mm. but as soon as someone wrote that then the anti-vegan people uh, there are no anti-bee people but the anti-vegan people jump on top of that and it's just this instant let's have a fight about it thing right but at the same time there are all these blog posts and pictures and videos that no one's arguing about because they're simply good Right. And so if we can start moving our attention toward those, there will be more of them. And so that's how I try to spend my day. That's how I try to write my blog is how can I put my attention on something that emphasizes possibility so right. that I can get more of it. And playing above the line or driving it to where it needs to go. Why go? not? It's up to us. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, again, I'm so grateful for your time today. Thank you so much for answering all these uh, these questions. I could just sit here and ask so many questions all day, but uh, we can't do that. So, so um, Seth, for people for where they want to, where they need to go to access your work, you've obviously published this as marketing, and so um, the best place to go is to go to SethGarden.com, and it's yeah, uh, or maybe uh, we just built up today akimbo.com, a-k-i-m-b-o.com. And you'll see all our workshops there and links to other stuff too. Okay, terrific. And um, and if you get the chance for those who are listening, I would keep an eye out for, you have um, the marketing seminar, obviously, which is where a lot of this uh, work really came from that you uh, have published. And also um, uh, the Alt-MBA, of course. Right. So yeah. the Alt-MBA is accepting applications now at altmba.com. Okay. And I'll give people a preview, which is in, about a week or two, we're going to launch a, a workshop for freelancers 
And mm -hmm. my hunch is a lot of people who are listening to this will benefit from that. Fantastic. Well, I would highly recommend jumping on there. I got so much out of even just the marketing seminar. So ultimately, so I'm coming for you. <laughs> Fantastic. Great to talk to you. Thank you very much, Seth.